imagine actually having a team of gals in the medium of Russo and Black Sunnies together. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. I suppose 90 second minute. I've never scored a 90 second minute winner. I don't know what it feels like. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us. Everyone in. Now you're welcome along. We have loads to discuss, loads going on. So the Women's Six Nations gets underway this weekend. Ireland against Wales at the RDS on Saturday. That's a 4.45 kickoff. We have the URC returning, including Connacht against Leinster, Saturday 7.35, a precursor to their Heineken Champions Cup game. Munster have Bennett on on the Friday, 7.35. Ulster, interestingly, go down to the Stormers on the Saturday. The South African sides of late are winning their home games and creeping up the table. And then, of course, there is a men's championship in the rearview mirror. France Grand Slam winners. Ireland second, triple crown to boot. Irish under-20s with a Grand Slam win themselves. That was at Musgrave Park. And the Italians winning for the first time since 2015. So, like I said, loads going on. Andy Dunn in studio. Hello. How are you, Joe? Very well. Keith... Wood is with us. Hello. How are you doing, Joe? Hi, Andy. How are you, Woody? So let's jump in. Let's uh, get your general thoughts on the Six Nations just gone, which wrapped up at the weekend. Andy Dunn, who is your Irish player of the tournament and who's your player of the tournament? I'm probably lean towards uh, Gibson Park for Ireland because I think he's he, him or Furlong in terms of the overall influence that they they have the overall impact their style of play brings to the team performance um, I have to pick one I suppose I'll go with Gibson Park uh, player of the tournament DuPont boring <laughs> cheap and boring cheerful and, yeah, cheap and cheerful yeah quick snack version there but yeah I think um, actually he wasn't probably at his absolute best but he's again key moments delivering in key moments I think he is um, a figurehead for them yes um, they look towards him to launch most of their uh, creative play and he's a bit of a beast in defence and work rate as well so overall um, yeah I'll go with him yeah. okay. cheap and cheerful like you said oh no, it's fine Keith um, Hugo Keenan I think at 15 I just thought he consistently uh, played very well from Ireland and I would go with Gregory Aldert from France I just every time I see him play the amount of work he gets through a lot of it seen a lot of it unseen but his impact pretty much every time he's involved um, with or without the ball seems to have an impact yeah. um, I thought Dupont was was fantastic and actually his ability to, to make big um, big moments in games it's fairly unparalleled in world rugby at the moment, but um, um, it took him a while to get going, I thought. And uh, I, I, it was a really interesting Six Nations. It, it started with a bang and then kind of tailed off as it became more serious uh, as the competition went on. But it was, um, yeah, I, I, it was, I liked it, but I went to the last two games and I, I was kind of a little bit... I wouldn't say jaded by it, but there, there wasn't huge fun or atmosphere in either in Twickenham or in, in the Aviva for the last one. So um, I thought it kind of trailed off a little. Hmm. Why do you think that was on Saturday? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was it was funny. I got there early. I don't go to a huge amount of, of, um, of international matches. And I kind of went to that one because my wife is Scottish. So I thought 
the two of us could fight with each other at a match, which was kind of fun. And um, I got there too early, which was fine. I got a, a chance to chat to a lot of fans, which was really nice. And I was sitting in the the, the past players area. So I had Eric Miller beside me. That was pretty cool. Um, Mick Kiernan sitting in front of me, Terry Kingston over from me. So it was great kind of catching up with those guys and, and catching up with some of the some of the supporters, which was which was lovely. Um, it just didn't seem to kick off. There, there, there wasn't, uh, there, there wasn't uh, any crackle in the air. There was no real excitement. And I think I was interested. I'm, I'm really interested in how we're playing. And I know I, I want to have a, a, a bit of a scrap with Andy over it because we we can see where we're going with elements of it. But we we're trying an awful lot. We're not going forward a huge amount of times. We're trying a huge amount, um, but we looked to be unbelievably comfortable. And it would have been interesting if Stuart Hogg had made that pass, which was a terrible, uh, just a dreadful decision not to pass inside, because that may have put us under a bit of pressure. But that was the only time in the whole game we looked like we were under any level of pressure. So I think that's palpable to, to fans as well. And I look, people talk about whether it's overly corporate or... Uh, that the prices are gone too expensive. I think they all feed into that as well. But also what happens on the field, we looked like we were in third gear for the whole game. And I think the crowd feeds off that. Yes, true. And then there was the distinct possibility France were just going to make the whole thing irrelevant anyway that evening in Paris. Where are you in Ireland then? Last time we spoke was a couple of weeks ago. You were very happy. Yeah, I would. Overall, I think... um, we're in rude health. Um, <clears throat> if you're breaking down the the key areas of concern or the areas we need to improve, um, I would say the two standout areas are how what is our approach around the scrum, and then what would we our one up tackles or one to one tackles versus our defence. I actually think our defensive system looks pretty lethal like the line speed is better than most it is better than the other teams we're coming off the line we're putting huge pressure on teams but we're missing some key first up tackles I don't think that's a huge problem to fix I think it's a little bit of tackle technique and a little bit of perhaps not the same level of aggression line speed going from 100% aggression to 95% is a small shift if it makes you technically better in the tackle or positioning yourself better in the tackle we we were missing on average we were getting about 90% of our tackles we did, I think against France 84% of our tackles we missed 16% of our tackles that's a little high 10% of all your tackles if you're making 100 tackles in a game um, is about right for international level and obviously you don't want those 10 misses to be key ones but yeah overall um, a good defensive system with need for tweaking the, the tackle technique and, and the first up misses I think that would be that would make us really uh, quite significantly stronger the scrum I would love to see us manage that like politically and shrewdly with how we butter up referees, what what we put out into the public about how we're going to scrummage. I think it's a constant game of uh, to and fro with scrummaging. 
Woody will tell you before every single international or every single game the ref will come in and have a chat with the front five he'll also have chatted to the coaches I think these days they're, they're getting access to the teams in the lead up to games there's a lot of pitter patter and communication going on but I think if we if we were to put out there that we're going to have this policy of I would call it containment in your scrum as opposed to being destructive in your scrum I think a lot of refs would lean towards that and say that's an easier day for me if the team are going to look to hold their own absorb impact stay square when it's their ball or the opposition ball and they get that message out and that narrative among referees a lot of a lot of international scrums in the top four or five teams in the world are looking to be destructive uh, and I think on our day we can be but it makes for this chaotic scrum scenario everyone's trying to get the upper hand this policy of containment by absorbing hits is to me is a really interesting one it's a bit different to what we've done and I think if we can make that a stable part of our game you know we're pretty formidable because the rest of our game looks really good Where have you plucked this policy of containment from? Um, In truth I've plucked it from Eastern philosophy (laughs) No I I I know when we trained in Bath years and years ago, we, we had a, a judo trainer and it was really interesting about talking about impact on tackles. And he said, if you actually go in and try and absolutely hammer someone in a tackle, you'll often get the timing wrong. You know, it's like shanking a golf ball and you just feel it, it reverberates up through every part of your body. When you're really in a flow in terms of making physical impact, you don't even feel the tackle. And uh, this judo coach, had me thinking all kinds of stuff back in 2006 but I met a guy called uh, Jan or Jan Golden who's in charge of Tai Chi Ireland I think he's done a bit of work with Caelan Doris and he's, he talks about absorption of impact versus the school of thought it's very you know bulk up get stronger win collisions win impacts go into a scrum win the first hit he talks about even in just observational terms absorbing impact through as it dissipates down through the front row second row back row he talks about is it possible for the back row players to keep their heels on the ground which would be completely different to the way things are coached but I think we've got to look at it maybe from a left field point of view and say is there a way we can get an upper hand in scrummaging and we may get the upper hand by simply containment and getting the refs on side getting the players in the position where we can attack from a stable ball stable platform versus three collapses maybe we get maybe we get a a favourable wheel up maybe we don't Mm. I think you would win over a lot of referees as well Keith yeah it's it's an interesting uh, philosophical um, bit of Eastern philosophy Woody I thought well, you know. it's interesting to, to have a journey to look at things differently I never I never kick anything um, out because it's different thinking and I um, I can go back to the days where there's nobody would ever take a backward step um, there's a couple of difficulties with it I, I actually I think there's a place for it but I don't know um, it's funny because I haven't heard it, so I'm, I'm trying to mull through it at the present moment in time. Um, I can give you an example. Claw at one stage, when he moved over to Loosehead, would absolutely hang me out to dry, and he would just go on the outside of the tight end and push him in on top of me. And Claw's job was to get up his side of the scrum, mm. which he did perfectly. Now, he killed me doing it, um, but he was 
he was right in many respects to say, well, I have my side of the scrum up and it hadn't taken any energy for him. He was just pushing your man in on top of me. And it was a way of thinking his way through it because he wasn't a natural loose head and he'd move from tight head over there. And actually he'd get killed if he got himself into a perfect position. So he'd, he manoeuvred it to do his job, which was to get his side of the scrum up. Um, I used to slag him about that for a long time. And it was a way of using the tight head's strength against him. And we would have always done that. And actually, in back in the, the Lions in 97, we used their weight against them. It was their responsibility to stay up. They were bigger than we were. So we used to bring them down a bit lower. So we'd use their weight against them. Mm. So, I mean, the philosophy stands that you need to do different things differently. Um, the, the difficulty I have with it, Renal is an awkward referee. He also is very French in, in the French aspect of refing, which is if a team is going forward, they're obviously doing it right and they penalise the team that isn't. Um, I would be far more interested in... in um, look, I think we had a, a, we had a young hooker in the team and I think uh, Tyg Furlong, um, I think he got it wrong. Now, they say the referee apologised afterwards. That's fine. Only he needs to take control of that during the game. You can't be you can't be waiting for an apology afterwards. You need to deal with it, and he and he didn't. So that's a lesson that'll be learned. The hit isn't there as much. You know, it isn't there. You have to ease your way into the scrum. Um, I would like to be able to take it very well. Um, the issue for us to be destructive is I don't think we have the large enough second rows to be destructive. If you look at uh, Antonio in um, in France, he doesn't make any hit. He just gets himself into an unbelievable position at 145 kilos. And then you have Willemse, who's probably 135 kilos behind him. Nobody's moving those guys. I mean, they're just, you're not moving them. So there's no point attacking that. You need to be able to contain it, mm. but get yourself in a position where you can strike the ball and get it to the number eight feet quicker. And that's the one thing I would say on our ball. We need to work on our strike to have a clearer channel to get it straight to number eight feet. Um, but I don't think we can ever let ourselves be in a position where we let the referee get hoodwinked, which I think he was against England. And Keith, one more point. What about Andy's thoughts on buttering up the referee on the public but messaging all, around games? But you, do, but you do that all the time and you have to be able to talk to the referee. There's, there's ways to talk to them and... Um, you need to have um, a rapport with the referee to say, listen, if you don't mind ref, he's going on the outside. I'm just going to go straight. That's it. And and if he's going on the outside, it's he's walking, I'm not walking. And you keep repeating that into it. But some of the refs just don't take that very well. And if that is the case, you need to be able to do something more about it. Mm. And but there is a, a total dialogue. There has to be. And look, I would always try and butter up the referees all the time. And you're trying not to um, to bitch at the referee, you know. And that's really hard when you're under pressure, when you've given away a penalty under the post and you know it's going to be three points and you're unbelievably frustrated. You still need to be able to try and to say to the ref, I think you got that one wrong, ref. And um, this is why it's wrong without you know, getting on top of him and giving out to him in front of 80,000 people and seven or eight million on the telly. I mean, it's it's a pressure situation for referees. It's much easier for a ref to give a penalty to the team going forward. 
I think that's, and that's the only thing that flies in in Andy's Eastern philosophy. <laughs> I um, I think there's there's a parallel I would often. I thought it's a parallel about, universe for this conversation. Yes, isn't it? yes, it's been lovely so far. But um, the the Gareth Southgate approach in the 2018 World Cup with the media, the English media in particular, like vultures was to open the doors and let them in and play darts with Raheem Sterling and so so on and so forth. And come what may, they got they came third place in the World Cup. They did success, relatively successful World Cup, but still didn't win anything. And they weren't hung out to dry like every other English footballing team at a major tournament. It's because people are human beings and the, they, they started to realise, I understand what Garrett's trying to achieve with his team. I understand that this lad here is vulnerable and he is, you know, an X, Y and Z. And it's it's just human nature. If you invite the referees in, in a, some kind of accommodating way or fashion and say, we want to play a certain type of rugby that allows the game to flow, that doesn't put, you can indirectly, you can intimate, it's not going to put you under extreme pressure in a game if we just have this policy of containment everyone wins everyone gets an easier life except the opposition who have the bigger people like Antonio and Vilemsa who have the capacity to be destructive so we, we can in a way we can disarm that by sneaky means and uh, hence the eastern approach On the point you made about the Irish defence then and the tackling more so than the defensive system Ireland conceded just four tries in this championship mm. and were very defensively sound. That's the best record of any team yeah. in the competition. Is there any trend to what you're seeing in the Irish tackle technique? Because you, you mentioned technique a few a few times. Um, okay, generally, I think it's you have to qualify it. Like you said, the the, the we conceded the least amount of tries. It's not a major issue, but big tournament games, knockout stages, you know. We're, we missed a couple of crucial tackles. I think a lot. They either came from, and there were a lot of these were in in the outside backs from twelve out to the to the wings, um, where you you race up in order to close down their space, and then you suddenly stop. You suddenly stop, and your your sixteen studs are in the turf. You you lose. You've suddenly lost that position. You're not in a dominant position. What I'm suggesting is, th- but the line speed has been super feature in our defence but it's a trade off you go come up that speed some pl- you either continue without b- breaking and you're really exposed if someone shifts either side of the defender or you dial it back down from 5th gear to f- 4.5th gear and you're, you know 4th gear perhaps you're still travelling you've still got good line speed but you're in control of your own agility get yourself in a better position to make tackles and in the wider channels that happened maybe four, five, six occasions in the first hour mm. against France which ultimately decided the championship. Okay. Keith, somebody was in touch wondering if Dan Sheehan, given our strength and depth at hooker, Dan Sheehan could move across, say, to loose head prop, for instance, or tight head prop at some stage in his career. No. And I think Dan Sheehan, I'm looking at Dan Sheehan and um but I was really interested when Ronan Keller came on on the scene, and um, I said, "God, isn't that he's a different type from uh, from 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 what we've had, uh, where he's a, he's a ball carrying, running um, uh, running hooker." And uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of of having ball carriers in each row of the of the scrum. You need to have them. It just it just makes the life 
an awful lot easier. It seems a little bit more natural if you've if you've won at each row, even if you've two at each row, if you can at different times, that's fantastic. Um, so I thought it was great when he came along. Then I watched Sheehan coming up afterwards, kind of looking slightly more agricultural, socks down a bit unkempt. Um, the change that he's had in the period of time that he has played rugby has been pretty phenomenal. Um, I'm looking forward to the reaction that Keller has when he comes back. Um, but I can tell you that Sheehan has leapfrogged him uh, at this stage. Uh, his standard of play, his impact on the game has been has been pretty fantastic. I think he's throwing very well as well. He looks leaner than he was, um, and that's because he's playing an awful lot of matches. You know, you're not quite doing as as much. He's going to get an awful lot bigger. Bigger. Um, stop tinkering with people's positions. Uh, every time I hear a coach doing that, I said. I just I get annoyed with them. There's guys that play in a position that are good in that position. We could end up with two um, uh, unbelievable international standard hookers, and we need them. Okay. And um, uh, and we'd like you know we'd like more pushing behind that. They they play in that position to move from hooker to it's uh, it's a, it's just it's incredibly difficult. Yeah, okay. But also I think he doesn't have the shape for it I think he's a big man mm. but he is he is not like you know he's not tied for a long giant man you know so yeah. no I, let's just knock that in the head Perfect. pretty quick done done let's come back to tempo then for a moment Andy because you mentioned Jameson Gibson Park potentially your Irish player of the tournament and that's about tempo mm. so Irish tempo something we've talked to you about for a number of years at this yeah. stage. So expand on all that for us. Are you liking this flat out tempo for 80 minutes straight? Um, I'm preferring it to the the turgid kind of slow, you know, regurgitating possession, 140 rooks style that actually won us this, the Grand Slam in 2018. And, um, but it's, when you play that type of game that we're currently playing, it is exhilarating to play. It's exhilarating to watch. I think everyone would agree that this Irish team are brilliant to watch. They're entertaining. And the challenge is when you are playing like the first 10 minutes against England, allowing for that red card after, what was it, a minute and a half. Not our style of play was, it was exceptional for that 10 minutes. It had nothing to do with England been down to 14 men there's no way we had the time to adapt our strategy we just kept doing what we were doing and see where we were I I think eight players touched the ball as a first receiver in that first 10 minutes mm. it's incredible to watch and it's ex- like I said exhilarating to be a part of the challenge with it is it's like a drug and you start to want you, we got a sense that England were in all kinds of trouble so you want to just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and that's actually slightly the problem with it. If we can, um, I often use my beloved Liverpool as an analogy, but someone like Thiago comes on in midfield and puts his foot on the ball. I had a coach in Harlequins that um, would you will remember well, Paul Tommy Turner, who was a really, really eccentric, brilliantly skillful Welsh out half played in the 80s. And he's the first person who introduced me to that line put you know who's putting their foot on the ball and I, I actually didn't know what he meant I was like what are you talking about it's the ability to come in 
and take the edge off things, hold a little bit of possession and calm things down. In in that England game, we could have been less exciting and tidied up the game a lot earlier. And with 20 to go, that game was in the balance. You hold possession, you do, you're you not as exhilarating, you're not constantly a threat. Sexton's not constantly a threat. Furlong's not constantly a threat. You're not constantly trying to make the difficult offload. As admirable as that is, in, in certain situations, it's good to have two styles of play, or three. But typically, all this style of play requires is someone or two players or three senior pros to put their foot on the ball and say slow it down and interestingly and I know I've been critical of Conor Murray and his box kicks over the years in the last 10-15 minute, uh, minutes against England that's precisely what he did he showed his 90 caps worth yes. of experience and when we were frantic and exciting he actually dumbed it down a bit and it worked perfectly when Gibson Park went off so it's very interesting you mention that because Brian O'Driscoll was in that very seat in advance of the England game and I was wondering and I we chatted about it with Keith and Stuart Barnes as well that week if Murray off the bench was right for this team anymore because generally we've had tempo off the bench and this team plays with tempo and in Murray off the bench especially if we're behind more so than, yeah. than if we're ahead is that really what you want off the bench now as it happened against England it was just what this team needed off the bench. Now, the problem for Andy Farrell or anybody else is you don't quite know what you're going to need off the bench until the game has started. But I do take your point about a change of tempo, uh, certainly at Twickenham. Yeah, oh, oh, ultimately, it's a huge positive in our game. And you can only get better at playing this kind of exhilarating rugby by doing it under pressure. And I've often used the RGs as an example in the lead up to the four years lead up to the 2015 World Cup they played this ridiculous style and they lost 78-12 to South Africa in Durban but they kept at it yeah. and eventually they beat South Africa three months before the World Cup and then they went out and hammered us yeah. playing the same way yeah. you, know, you need to do it under pressure so this is the perfect way to do it in the Six Nations but we be nice to be able to have people who can put their foot on the yes. ball too No I hear you Keith we're in the teenage years with this new style and we're going to get a bit yeah. better in our 20s yeah, look, I, it's funny. I, I love it. I think it's, it can be a little bit frustrating because it's a bit inaccurate. And actually, when the pressure is on more, strangely, I think our, our accuracy is better. I think the attention to detail under more pressure is better. Um, I, look, I'm interested. You mentioned Paul Turner. So uh, Paul Turner was was a Welsh wizard. But And if I, I put three of them together, this is definitely going back in time. It was Paul Turner. David Pears and Stuart Barnes, who were all very similar types of out-halves, which would be, um, they were quite happy to go laterally across the pitch. They were quite laterally to to unpick a lock um, and attack the line. I mean, they all all attacked the gain line um, and they were pretty much instinctive and thinking tens. Um, Paul was, he was eccentric, but he was he was brilliant. Your skills improved just by having a conversation with Paul because he just looked at the game slightly differently. Um, that's something I'd like to see us try and move. And I was ha- I'm happy enough with this. I'm happy with us trying it. I'm watching how it tires players out, um, the opposition out, because the ball is going everywhere. And um, especially the teams that were playing laterally in the competition, it tired them out an awful lot. It tired England out a lot. Um, I think we we need to attack the line a tiny little bit more, and that's the one thing. So I actually think Johnny has played very well in in in, in the competition. 
but I feel we we do need our 10 to take the ball to the game line a little bit more. He is not a threat and he's not being perceived as being a threat. So uh, when that happens, um, and you see it, there's a few few passes from Gibson Park and from Conor Murray go to ground because uh, Johnny hasn't run into that place where he should be and they're passing it and he has stopped. And that's something that we can't afford to have. But we're picking holes in something here. And mm. I'd like just to see him do that a little bit more. And I'd like to see a couple of carries from forwards and from maybe Aki or Henshaw running a really hard line back every now and then just to keep the opposition a little bit honest. And I actually think the style we're playing then will be more effective still. And I do think it's a style that we're trying to get used to. And I think we do need to be able to put our foot on the ball and we do need to be able to play in different ways. Um, strangely, I thought it was very comforting when Conor Murray came on the other day and I've been critical of Conor as well. Um, but it is, it's almost as if he'd found his niche. He was he was in control of his environment the other day and it looked very reassuring for the team. So I think it's exciting. I'm kind of excited to see where it gets to. Um, but for that to be the case, I do think we need to have a couple of hard lines, not short pops, but people coming from depth at different times on blind angles, be it, as I say, be it Caelan Doris or maybe Aki at a different time, just to shake things up. Um, and then I think Johnny can attack the line a little bit more. But for me, there's a little bit too much happening too far back. Um, but we're picking holes in it because yeah. it, they haven't looked under pressure. And that's my fear is when we are put under pressure, what way is it going to, what way is it going to be? So like, I'm looking forward to the summer because that is the perfect place that we need to go to see how good this style is, how much we can progress it and what additional work we have to do because we're not anywhere near the peak and the, the consistently we're said that we peak at the wrong time, but we haven't peaked. And there's an awful lot of mistakes being made. Quite happy for them to be made now that we don't make them next year would be great. Mm. Clock is against us. We don't have time to go through all the other teams. Scotland are in a fairly dire place. The Welsh have some major rebuilding to do. For the Italians, what a wonderful, glorious moment. I mean, the defining moment in some respects of the championship. And then France are worthy champions. Everybody's been uh, talking about France for quite some time. Just on England before we sign off on the men's championship. So, Eddie Jones, given the full backing of the RFU, uh, this came on the Monday after the weekend an RFU spokesperson said Sunday night uh, we're encouraged by the solid progress the team has made during the Six Nations and this has been met with just a ridicule borderline anger across the uh, English punditry uh, fraternity Ugomania said fundamentally that's just dishonest we've won two out of five which mirrors last year where's the progress we've scored fewer tries this is a team that's meant to be progressing in the attacking box I haven't seen it uh, Sam Warburton called it an outright lie <laughs> Uh, so the RFU of uh, thumbs up daddy as, as we all expected they would do but uh, England in not a very good place the only thing the only thing the only thing is in 2018 at this point they had finished fifth beaten mm. by Ireland on St Patrick's Day would lose two matches in South Africa in the summer and we know how 2019 turned out so even though everything is pointing towards this is not working and something is running dry here 
there is still that massive parallel with four years ago yeah yeah my old uh, I was laughing my old roommate housemate you, you go on you when I was playing in Harlequins we've got to get you two uh, on and have yeah. a <laughs> he's a good lad the Manu Farrell years I think that's the chat he um, yeah done done sorry done I didn't mix you up with Andy Farrell go on ha- happens <laughs> often um, yeah I, it does to me I would say okay strong words you know lies lies damn lies or it's dishonest I think had there not been a sense bit ridiculous had there not been a pandemic like the RFU lost a massive massive amount of money probably of of any of the uh, rugby nations and they employed the most people and they sacked the most people and Eddie Jones has about 18 months left on a massive contract and if they want to get rid of him they've got to pay him and if they want to bring someone in like Scott Robertson they got to double pay him and they're stuck and they're in a position where they can't afford to get rid of him and bring in a new coach so they're going to come out and say you know we can see positive signs and we're going to give him the backing of the board and I think it's one of these in inverted commas a backing of the board who's actually got the backing of the board <laughs> because he, they can't do anything else because okay. I think the the deterioration in their style is it's too worrying to suggest it's a dip in form they they do look rudderless I was really excited to see how Marcus Smith would do in the tournament and given that he's playing in a group that is currently looks this kind of devoid of coherence and clarity in their play he still did really well and actually they were looking to a novice with loads of talent to get them out of trouble and he finished top scorer if if Marcus Smith was playing in a current Irish setup he would have lit the place on fire you know what I mean so England are they are really really struggling I think and they always have resources but the resources are less than they were based on a really financially challenging period for them I think that's probably the the key factor in that statement and keeping them on board to the next World Cup I think it doesn't mean they won't improve like but it's just to me it's too worrying their overall style they look all over the place yeah all over the place Keith yeah I look at the 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 spokesperson it's a bullshit comment really Mm. and um, and that's why everybody's jumped up and down on it it's been interesting listening to former CEO Francis Barron talking about it as well saying you can't just talk about a World Cup because actually it's the Six Nations that pays everybody's wages and um, it's the main income generator. So that's something. There seems to be more excuses than resources in England at the moment. Uh, likewise, I wanted to see Marcus Smith play because he's an exciting young talent with a lot of experience. And they pretty much picked as many other players around him that you, that didn't suit him as you possibly could. I, so I, I don't understand any of the rationale um, that uh, Eddie Jones is using at the moment. Um, so I find that quite hard to watch. I don't really mind too much. Equally well, England have a very uh, they have a much easier path in the World Cup next year. Um, and whatever we can say about Eddie Jones, he has uh, he's able to deliver at that stage uh, far better than Ireland have ever delivered at that stage. But um, it makes for it makes for hard watching different times, um, and uh, for me, I just when you see young players that are that are the the pressure that's been put on them. But a player comes in and he's dropped within a week, uh, which happened. Uh, Blamire came on through one ball, lost it, and he's out of the squad the following week. 
Um, it's a fairly fragile place to be. I wouldn't like to be in that. Um, Alex Anderson came out this morning from sale and he was incredibly critical of their treatment of Tuolagi during the Six Nations. They said they rushed him, England rushed him back. They didn't manage him properly and he's been injured because of it. Right. And that was quite interesting as well. Right. So, yeah. like, I, I don't think, like, the, the, the level of anger that's there from past players and coaches, and look, everybody has a bit of an agenda or whatever, and maybe they're, you know, wanting to get a, a paper column or whatever it is. Um, but actually, most of them want England to do well. And um, uh, when someone stands up and says, we're really happy with the progress, I can't, you can't be happy with the progress. There isn't progress. Yeah. It's two wins. We're talking here with Keith Wood and Andy Dunn. Our rugby coverage and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. We'll park the men's Six Nations and just move to the TikTok women's Six Nations. Then finally, Wales at the RDS Saturday, 4.45 kickoff for Greg McWilliams in his first game as head coach. The general context here, if you've missed the bits and bobs during the week, Nicola Friday announced as captain. Uh, second row, she has 22 caps, been there since... 2016. There are nine uncapped players in the Irish squad. Mick Williams confirmed during the week that certainly at certain points in this championship, more so towards the latter end of it, he will be without several players who will be involved in the Canadian leg of the Seven Series. Uh, for context, the last time Ireland uh, made do without Sevens players, they were without Bevin Parsons, Stacey Flood, Amy Lee Murphy Crow, and Eve Higgins. So those kind of players potentially missing for part of the Six Nations. On Saturday coming, they face Wales. This is a Welsh team. They hammered 45 0 away uh, last year. Although in the interim, they have contracted 12 players full time and another 12 on semi-pro contracts. And it seems that there were a lot of issues behind the scenes with that Welsh team last year. So we're expecting a better Wales this time around. Obviously, from an Irish point of view, last year was a complete nadir, uh, culminating in missing the World Cup in Parma, losing to Spain and Scotland. And do you know Greg McWilliams a little bit? Everything we hear about this guy is very positive. He was involved in the heyday, I suppose, of Irish women's rugby when they reached a World Cup semi-final and won a Grand Slam in 2013. Uh, You have a little insight into what he's trying to do and uh, the style of play he's going to try and aim towards. Yeah, I I think he's a brilliant appointment um, because it is a group... um, It's it's had press in the last year and a half that effectively amounts to bad press. there's been pretty ill feeling towards the IRFU in terms of the, the lack of resources towards Anthony Eddy. There's been, you know, a signed letter from 60 odd players, including former players. And and on top of all that level of dissatisfaction that's coming from within the, the personnel, the the standard to play has been awful. Yeah. And you got to stand up and take that criticism on the chin too and say well look as a viewing public technically it's not good enough tactically it's not good enough and at a certain stage in that journey players have to take responsibility for low standards also and I would say what Greg will do is he will give this group very 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 clear direction on what he wants and he will bring it into how they're training an example would be he, um, I believe, sent an email to every registered AIL player back in December with like a memo of how he wants to play with his Irish team and what is required of you individually to, to be in consideration for that squad. And one of the key things was that the, the current international women's game across six nations 
Tri-Nations and Super Rugby, the ball's in play for about 34, 35 minutes in a game. He wants to get up to 36 minutes, which is rather large in the context of an overall game. And he also wants to very much focus on what is done and you can keep the ball and play for if me and you kept the ball for 36 minutes we'd be walking around the field it's what you actually do with it um, and he's looking to so he's brought in an S&C coach who's formerly with uh, Munster and Leinster men's team and he's using all their data to, to work out the distances they're travelling they're out in the high performance centre and he's what how many of in terms of the overall distance uh, travelled how many of those are sprints you look at Mo Salah covers 11 kilometres in a game, but 90% of them plus are sprints. Mm. You've got to train for that. And you've got to train in a different way. And, and a lot of these players haven't been exposed to that properly. Then you've got to have the skill level and the concentration to maintain it. I think he's looking at selections based on that. So some experienced players have been left out of the squad because he doesn't feel they've got the capacity currently or fitness levels to get into that type of play. That to me is a sea change for the Irish women's setup. They're out in the high performance centre, they're getting access to the resources, but they've got someone who gives them direction and technical expertise now. So it's back onto them and they've got to step up to the plate. I'm really excited about action. Mm. Final word to you, Keith. Yeah, I look I think it's been a really a really tough um nine months for, for the women's game and I think the onus is is on everybody involved actually is on the players as well I mean for, for the players to write a letter um, of such uh, vitriol and um, for the IRFU to respond poorly first and then laterally um, better um, um, the responsibility is on all of them then to try and make this work I mean I'm a bit disappointed that the sevens players will be missing um, I, I think there's a, a you know we need to try and tidy up the the season so that we can get our best players on the field for the competitions and and, and I know that's difficult but um, yeah I'm looking forward to it and it'll be interesting to see I, I, like again I love that idea of preparation that you send it out to everybody so actually we'd like everybody to be fitter is what he's asking we want everybody to push it so that they can um, they can um, be more live during the game um, that's a fairly large statement of intent for for a group of women that uh, would want to play in an Ireland jersey. So, but it's also a pathway immediately. If you're unbelievably fit and your skills are up to scratch, and you're going to be able to have this game, this all pace game, that's pretty cool. So, look, it's a simple direction, but um, I don't know him, and I'd be interested interested to see how he gets everybody on the one page, and if he does. Um, look they have a history of performing well it's just a bad year and we want to be able to consign that year to history Fellas that was fantastic Keith Wood thank you Andy Dunn thanks a million Cheers Joe Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone official sponsors of the Irish rugby team Team of Us Everyone In